The last perk and a half has been giving a long list of different things which are being sold to somebody else and what is included in that sale. The next two Mishnahs are really a continuation of that list. And then the rest of the perk will go into other laws regarding sales. It says the Mishnah Kinishelon is one who buys two trees in somebody else's house. For example, Ruvain buys two trees in Shimon's field. According to the Tanakama, Haizeloikonakarka, he has not acquired the land together with the trees. That's talking about both the land which is directly beneath the trees, where the tree is growing from, and it refers to the land which is around the trees, which the person needs in order to plow and to take care of his tree. He needs to use the land immediately around the tree. However, he has not acquired it. Since we view two trees as too small a number to make up a field of trees. So he's not buying a field, he's buying two individual trees. And the understood agreement, since he's not acquiring land, is that the seller gives the buyer the right to use his land to the extent that he needs it for the sake of his tree. And the Mishnah will list a number of consequences of that fact. But firstly, Rabbi Meir says that Konakarka even when he buys only two trees, he has acquired land, the land which is directly beneath the trees and in between the trees. And so according to Mayor, there will be different laws which will apply, and we'll see that towards the end of the Mishnah. But firstly, the Mishnah tells us what is the law in a case where Ruvain owns two trees in Shimon's field, but none of the land, Higdilu, if the branches of the tree grow and start stretching out into Shimon's field, Shimon is forbidden to cut down the tree, the, the branches, even if it might be blocking out some of the light or it disturbs what he wants to do in his own field, he cannot cut down the branches since he never gave land over to Shimon. So the understood agreement is that Shimon is allowed to use Ruin's land to the extent that he needs it for the growth of his tree. And just because the tree might be interfering with Shimon's land now, Shimon is not allowed to cut down those branches. For Elimina that which grows from the tree stump, since it is growing from the tree itself, Shaloy, it would belong to Ruvain, the buyer, Minasharashim. However, that which grows from the roots of the tree, not from the tree stump, but next to the tree stump, they grow from the ground as a result of the roots of the tree. That is not considered to be part of the actual tree which Ruvain owns. Rather, it's growing from Shimon's land, and therefore Shabalakarka. Those things which are growing from there would belong to the owner of the land, i.e. Shimon. Vimeso, and if the trees died, Enlokarka. Ruvain the buyer has no right to the land over there. He can't go and plant a different tree in place of that tree because he doesn't own the land. He only owns the tree. On the other hand, says the Mishnah, if he bought three trees, as long as they are fairly close to each other, such that this appears to be already like a field of trees, then Konakarka, he has acquired the land beneath and in between these trees. And therefore the following laws will apply. And of course, according to Rabbi Meir, the following laws would apply even in a case where somebody bought only two trees. Higdilu, if the branches grew and started stretching out into Shimon's field, Yeshape, Shimon is allowed to cut down these trees if they're starting to interfere with his own field. Because in this case, he did sell land together with the trees to, to Ruvain. So there's no understood part of the agreement that any part of Shimon's land which Ruvain needs for the sake of his tree, he has the right to use that. No, only the land which is directly in between and just around the trees which Ruvain bought belong to Ruvain. But as soon as it now enters into Shimon's land, Shimon has the right to cut it down if it is damaging and interfering with what he wants to do in his own field. 
That which grows either from the tree stump or even from the roots, from the ground which is in between the trees, it would belong to ruin the buyer because he owns that land as well. And if the trees die, then he does own the land beneath the trees, meaning he can replant another tree there because he is the owner of that land. One who sells the head of a large animal. He is not sold together with it the legs of that animal, because the legs are in no way secondary to the head of the animal. They're both considered to be very significant limbs of the body in their own right, and neither of them is considered to be secondary to the other, and therefore, if he sold the legs of the animal, he has not sold the head together with the legs. Only what was specified is included in the sale. Similarly, if he sold the windpipe, and many Mephorshim explain that we're not really referring to where he only sells the, send, sells the windpipe, but the area of the body which is around there, so the lungs and the heart and the windpipe, if he sells that, he has not sold the liver of the animal, and if he sells the liver, he has not sold the windpipe and the lungs and the heart, because they're considered, each of these things are considered to be significant in their own right. And so they're not, and they're not included in, in the sale of a different limb. However, says the Mishnah, regarding a small animal, if he sells the head of the small animal, then he has included in that sale the legs of the animal. And if he sells the legs, then it doesn't include the head. And the reason for this is because this was the general practice in many places during the times of the Mishnah that they would sell parts of the animal based on limbs, and because compared to the head of a small animal, the legs of the small animal are quite insignificant, they would be sold together, somebody who bought a head would buy the legs with it. Whereas if you only bought the legs, so of course you wouldn't drag with that the more significant head. Only if you buy something more significant, then the general practice was that it would come together with a less significant limb, for example the legs. And on a similar note, Mochez if he sold the windpipe, the lungs, the heart of the small animal, he has sold the liver together with it, because that's considered to be quite insignificant in relation to the windpipe and heart and lungs, and therefore the general practice was that it would come with the liver. However, if he sells the liver, that would not include in the sale the windpipe together with the heart and lungs. But the main point is that it depends on the general practice, the general understanding of buyers and sellers in that area, and therefore in a place where this is no, by no means the custom, so this wouldn't apply. There are four measures, four different ways of dealing with sellers, and this is really referring to four different cases where a buyer and seller make an agreement about a particular item that the buyer is going to buy from the seller, and it ends up being a slightly different item. So there's going to be four different cases with four different laws. If the seller will call him Ruvain, sells to the buyer, will call him Shimon. Ruvain sells Shimon very good quality wheat. And they go through the entire transaction. Shimon takes ownership of the wheat, but when it's a rice, it emerges that actually this wheat is very bad quality. In such a case, the buyer is able to retract from the deal, even if the seller gave him much more of the bad quality wheat, which is worth the same amount of money as the smaller quantity of good quality wheat, so he didn't necessarily lose out on any money. Nevertheless, since he certainly did not strike a deal about buying bad quality wheat, 
He has the right to undo the sale and to demand a refund, right? Next case, number two, Royce, if the deal was that he was buying and the seller was selling bad quality wheat, but into the office, when it emerges to be good quality wheat, the buyer sort of tricked the seller into thinking that it was bad quality wheat, but it emerges that it's actually very good quality wheat. In this case, the seller is able to retract and to undo the deal because he was the one who was treated unfairly over here. Royce for him to Royce. What happens if the deal was that he was selling him bad quality wheat, and it emerges that it was extremely bad quality wheat? That's how we're going to understand the Mishnah. There's different ways to understand the Mishnah. We're going to explain it like that. So they agreed on bad quality wheat, but it ended up being really bad quality wheat. Or Yofais, if the deal was that he was selling him good quality wheat, but him to and it emerged to be extra good quality wheat. In this case, since at the end of the day they're in the same category, there's only a small difference. Neither of them are able to retract and to undo the deal once the sale has taken place. Alright, now the full scenario or scenarios is if the deal was struck regarding Shechamtis, reddish brownish wheat, but it emerged that it was actually white um, wheat. If the deal was regarding white wheat, that it emerges to be a reddish-brownish wheat, these are different types of wheat, and each one has an advantage which the other one doesn't. For example, white wheat can produce very fine flour, whereas the reddish-brownish wheat would produce a lot of flour. So the advantage in each one. If they agreed about a sale of wood of an olive tree, but it ended up being the wood of a sycamore tree. Shall shake if it was the wood of a sycamore tree, but it emerged that actually it was a the wood of an olive tree. If it's wine, it emerges to be vinegar. If they agreed to buy and sell vinegar, but it emerged, it emerged to be wine. Again, even though in this case the wine is definitely better quality and worth more than the vinegar, but nevertheless, vinegar does have certain uses which wine doesn't. At the end of the day, if somebody wants vinegar, he wants vinegar and not wine. So in this case, both of them are able to undo the deal because either of them, either of them can claim that this is not what I want because these things are just different and therefore either of them is able to undo the deal even once the sale has taken place. Mr. Zion, halakhically speaking, there are specific defined acts which one needs to do in order to acquire something. If somebody buys an item, for example, it's generally not enough just to pay money for the item. That itself does not transfer the ownership from the seller to the buyer. Rather, one needs to do a particular act, for example, the three ways to buy a movable item are firstly hagba. Hagba means lifting up the item. And the truth is anything which can be lifted up easily needs to be acquired by hagba. That's the only way that it can be acquired in general. If it's not so easy to lift it up, then there are two other ways for the acquisition to be made, for the ownership to be transferred. The, the first one is hamashicha. Mashicha literally means pulling the item towards you. And that sort of represents bringing it into your own domain, bringing it into your vein of control. And because of that, this cannot be done anywhere. For example, in a public area, a mashikha would be invalid because you're just pulling it towards you, but you yourself are in a public domain. So that doesn't represent bringing it into your own control. And therefore, mashikha can only be done if the buyer is at least a partial owner of the area which they are in right now, or in what is known as a simta. A simta is on the side of a public domain, an area which isn't really used by the public, 
and it's designated as an area for people to go onto the side of the road and to put their items down. So since that is not a busy public area, so in such an area where you're allowed to put your things down, that would be sufficient to do a mashikh over there, and it would represent bringing the item within your domain, into your control, alright? So first we have Agbar, which is lifting it up, mashikh, which is drawing it towards you, pulling the item towards you, and Masira is when the seller gives over the item to the buyer, and our Mishnah will discuss primarily the first two, namely Hagbar and Mashikha. Hagbar is the Chaveri, one who sells produce to his friend. Ruvain sells produce to Shimon, and they fix the price per unit of produce. For example, they said they agreed on a price of, let's say, a dinar for five kav of produce, but he hadn't yet given him the money, and Moshach, the buyer, did a Mashikha. He pulled the pile of produce towards him. So we're clearly discussing a case where we're either in a simta, the side of a public domain, which is not so public, or in an area which the buyer also has ownership of. So he did a mashikha, modad, but they hadn't yet measured the amount of produce which was there. They said that I'll pay you a dinar for every five kav, but they don't yet know how many kav are there. They don't know what the volume of the produce is. Says the Mishnah, that doesn't matter, since they agreed on a price for every unit of produce, so the price has already been agreed upon, he performed an act of transferring the ownership, and therefore Connor, he's acquired the produce, they can now measure how much it is, and they'll have to pay accordingly. On the other hand, Modad Moshach, if they measured the amount of produce which was there, and they had agreed about a price, but he still hadn't done a Mashikha, so without doing that act of Mashikha which transfers the ownership, like Connor, the buyer has not acquired any other produce, because there is lacking an act of transfer of ownership. Now, what happens if the buyer was concerned that the seller might retract from the deal in the middle of their discussions? He was concerned that they'll go through the whole deal, they'll come to an agreement, and just before he manages to do the mashikha, he's concerned that the seller might end up going back on the deal. Is there any way that he can avoid this? Says the Mishnah, yes. If he was a clever person trying to get out of this problem, then Soicher es Mekoimon, he can rent the place where the produce is lying from the seller, and then he will be able to do a different form of acquisition, which is known as a Kenyan Chotzer. A Kenyan Chotzer is the ability to transfer the ownership of something by the mere fact that it is situated in my domain, in my property. So from the beginning of the discussions, the buyer can turn around to the seller and tell him to rent that area to him, temporarily of course, and then immediately he can already acquire the produce as soon as they've agreed upon a price per unit. He would be able to acquire the produce and the sale would have been fully valid and neither party would be able to retract. So, so far we've discussed a Mashikha and a Kinen Chotzer. Two ways to acquire something. Now the Mishnah goes on to a Hagbar. One who, acquire, one who buys flax from somebody else. He does not acquire the flax until he moves it from one place to another, meaning until he lifts it up. He does Hagbar. Like we mentioned, something which can easily be lifted up can only be acquired via doing a Hagbar. And the Mishnah ends off with a slightly more complicated case. If the flax was still attached to the ground, however, it is fully ripe and it's ready to be cut off the ground. Something which is ready to be cut off the ground, halakhically speaking, is often viewed as if it's already been um, detached from the ground. It's no longer dependent on the ground. And so too regarding the transfer of ownership, 
and acquiring this, this is considered to be something which is not attached to the ground. If it was part of the ground, so land can be acquired just by paying for it. But since it is not considered to be part of the land, it cannot be acquired just by paying for it. But at the same time, it's very impractical to use one of the other methodologies like Hagbar or Mashiach or Masira, because then you would need to detach each um, stalk of flax in order to do it. So is there a way of him acquiring that flax without actually going through the entire harvest and cutting it off the ground? So the Mishnah seems to say a simple way, but Tolash Kolshu, if he uproots any amount of the produce of the flax from the ground, Connor, he has acquired all of the flax. Now, it can't be taken literally, and the Gemara explains that the way they should go about this is that the seller should hire the buyer as a worker for him to do a very simple task, and that is to detach just one stalk from the ground. That's what the Mishnah is talking about when he detaches it from the ground. And they should make an agreement that the wages in return for the work which the buyer is doing is that temporarily he will acquire or he'll be considered to be the renter of the seller's land. And then that will be enough because the second that he becomes the owner, even for one second of that land, he can then acquire all of the flax via King and Chatzar because the flax would be within his own property. And so that is a way of getting around this problem and being able to acquire all of the flax without detaching it all from the ground.